Uh, did you know that the word faith in our Bibles is sometimes meaning faithfulness? Sometimes when we come across the word faith, the idea is faithfulness. Now, one of the verses, I think, where you see this is Titus 2, verse 10. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Now, this verse is speaking to servants. And instead of robbing their bosses and cheating them, they are to be faithful or trustworthy. And notice when they are faithful, this makes the teaching of Jesus, our God and Savior, attractive. Whenever the word faith is meaning faithfulness, this is the meaning. It's the character of one who can be relied on. Uh, Sometimes the adjective of faith has this, persons who show themselves faithful in the discharge of their duties. Uh, It's interesting, this week I came across this statement by the late Christian leader, Edwin Lewis Cole. And look what he says. Faithfulness makes you trustworthy to God. Isn't that an interesting thought? Worth thinking about for a very long time. Faithfulness is what makes us trustworthy to God. You see, the Bible says that faith in Christ makes us Christians, but faithfulness to Christ makes us trustworthy. And the Bible teaches this, doesn't it? Uh, this is taught in a number of places in Scripture. Let's read together 1 Corinthians 4.2. Uh, join me. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And then think of Jesus' parable of the faithful steward, Matthew 25, 21. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Do you know this verse could be the theme verse of the life of Joseph? It was really his outstanding quality. Uh, The first quality as we uh, begin this uh, opening of the life of Joseph, living a fruitful life, is that Joseph lived a faithful life. And I came across an image this week that I thought really, really shows this very, very well. This is just a beautiful image. Look at this. Our faith in Christ should lead us to be faithful to Christ. And when that happens, out of that flows a fruitful life for Christ. That's a principle taught in the Bible and taught very much in the life of Joseph. And so this morning we are turning to Genesis 37, where we are first introduced to Joseph, and we want to see this principle as it flows out of his life. Faithfulness makes us trustworthy to God. I want you to think this morning, are you trustworthy to God? This morning, as we work through the life of Joseph, as he's introduced to us as a 17-year-old, 
God is asking us, where in our life are we not trustworthy? And if we're not, we likely know it. And the Holy Spirit wants to put His finger on that and say, until you deal with that in your life, you'll not be as fruitful as God wants you to be. Let's open our Bibles, shall we? And let's look together at the opening of the life of this 17-year-old young man in Genesis chapter 37. And I want to begin just by reading verses 1 through 4. Notice what the Bible says. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 37, follow along, verses 1 to 4. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billa and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, we know that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of the other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Let's notice as we open the story of Joseph that God is teaching us a very important lesson for our lives, and that is faithfulness in the little things is what God desires in His servants. Faithfulness in the small things, in the little things of life, is what God desires in His servants. Am I faithful in the little things? Are you? That's what God is looking for. Now, the first thing we notice about Joseph is that he was raised in a polygamous family. Uh, We learn that in verse 2. Jacob, his father, was a polygamist. Now, in the Old Testament, God permitted polygamy, but that was not his intention. From the very beginning, God's plan was one woman, one man, in a lifelong marriage. That was his intention. And if you want to see what happens when you reject that plan, look no further than here. Look no further than here. Uh, Billa and Zilpah, who are, we are told about in verse 2, were handmaids to uh, Jacob's two wives, Leah and Rachel. You may remember that Jacob was tricked by his uncle Laban into marrying his two daughters. Uh, he wanted to marry first the younger one, Rachel, but in the darkness of the wedding night, Laban, their father, sent Leah into Jacob's tent, and he ended up marrying Leah instead. How would you like to have a father-in-law like that? And so then later, he married Rachel. Now, from the very start, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, so right at the very beginning, there was favoritism. And then Leah started having children, but Rachel could not, so there was jealousy. So Rachel gave her servant Billah to Jacob as a third wife, and she had kids. 
Uh, Not to be outdone, Leah then decided, I'm going to give my handmaiden, Zilpah, to Jacob as a fourth wife, and she had kids. Now would you add rivalry to the mix? Finally, in Jacob's old age, uh, Rachel gives birth to Joseph, and uh, now we have more favoritism, this time not with the wives, but with the twelve sons. Joseph now becomes the favorite son of the favorite wife. Now would you add hatred to the mix? How many of you think this is a good situation? How many think this is healthy? How many think this is better than monogamy? One man, one woman, married for life, cannot be improved upon. God is all wise, and He knows what is best. So here is Joseph, who finds himself born into this confusion the eleventh son with ten older brothers, and then we know later Benjamin is born to become the younger brother of Joseph. Let me just stop right here this morning. I think this is a place for us to make some application. Maybe you find yourself in a difficult family situation as well. Things may not be ideal for you. Maybe you have a step-parent in your life and you just are not getting along, though you are trying. I talked with a young man by phone not long ago and he could not get along with his stepmother 14 years ago. Here it is 14 years later and the two of them just cannot get along. Maybe now in your family you have new brothers and sisters and it is not working out like the Brady Bunch. Isn't it amazing? You watch the Brady Bunch. No problem was too difficult to be solved in a half hour with everyone smiling and hugging at the end of the show. Maybe that's not your family. Maybe there's favoritism. Maybe there are other siblings that are the darlings and you can't do anything right. I knew a family of three boys. The oldest was the favorite. The youngest was pampered and indulged, and who was the odd man out? The middle son. Sadly, he was not treated like the other two. He was the sufferer of favoritism. Now, here's what I want to say to you today. If you grew up in a family like that, or maybe you're in a family like that right now, God knows your situation. And God knows how hard it may be. Joseph was born into one of the most difficult families we could possibly imagine, yet Joseph became one of the most fruitful people in the Bible, and God used him in an amazing, amazing way. God is not limited by your family background. Please understand and believe that. He knows you. He loves you. He can help you overcome any hardship that you've been born into. It is still true. One with God is a majority. One with God is a majority. 
Now, we've already seen here the second difficulty that Joseph had to overcome in his life. According to verse 4 here, his brothers hated him as the favored son through no fault of his own. And you'll notice that it says they could not speak peacefully to him. Do you know that expression, to speak peacefully, is the Hebrew word shalom? To this very day, when Jews meet each other, they say shalom. It's the normal Hebrew greeting, wishing somebody welfare, peace, and prosperity. Listen to this. There was no shalom for Joseph. Imagine living under that kind of hostility. Dirty looks. No kind words. Shunning. And then, according to verse 2, as a teenager, he had to go out and work with these brothers in the family business of taking care of the sheep. I just have to ask this question, how did Joseph do this? How did he hold up? How did he withstand this pressure? In fact... How did he resist becoming like them, right? How did he resist becoming like these ten older brothers? Do you know one of the things we're going to learn? As we work through the life of Joseph, we're going to see that almost every sentence Joseph speaks has the name of God in it. And that was the key. The key to Joseph's life, now even at 17 years of age, was God. The late Pastor Jim Boyce, who pastored for many years in Philadelphia, said this, The chief characteristic of Joseph's speech was his constant referral of every circumstance of his life to God. So think about what this means. At 17 years old, he came to know God, he trusted Him, and he learned to live for Him. And let me just say to all of us here this morning, no matter the difficulty of our family background or the situation that we are in, if we will come to know God through Jesus Christ, trust in Him, and follow His leading, learn to live for Him, there is no hardship He cannot help us through. Now notice the first difficulty that Joseph had. There's another difficulty that made his brothers hate him. Look at verse 2. As he was out with his brothers, uh, tending the family sheep, the Bible says in verse 2, that he brought a bad report of his brothers to their father. Now, what do we know about these brothers? Well, we know they were jealous. They were heartless. We know they were vengeful. A little bit later in the story, they're going to plot Joseph's murder. 
And then when uh, that doesn't uh, work out, they finally decide, we're going to cruelly sell him as a slave down to Egypt. And then they concoct a lie to cover up what they had done. And they deceived their father for 13 years about what had happened to their brother. That's the kind of men these were. It's interesting in verse 2 when it says a bad report. The word bad there is the normal Hebrew word for evil. It refers to an evil disposition, wicked, morally depraved. It has the idea of being a reprobate. Can we say this morning, these guys were bad dudes. These guys were bad dudes. And these were not small infractions that Joseph must have seen, but they were serious wrongdoing. And since they were running their father's sheep business, Jacob's reputation is clearly now at stake. Can I ask a question this morning? What would you do in this situation? What would you do? Most people, what? Most people at 17, right? Most people would keep quiet. By the way, we don't like people like Joseph who speak up, do we? What do we call them? Well, you guys are reading my notes. Snitches? Tattletales? Squealers. Let me ask this question. Are there times when our loyalty must be to those who have put their trust in us? Are there times? Yes, there are. And when people have placed their trust in us, We are required to be loyal to them first and foremost of all. I want you to notice something here that's going on. If you look back at verse 2, it says about Joseph that he was a boy with the sons of Billa and Zilpah, his father's wives. The word boy there is sometimes translated retainer. And it refers to an unexperienced person who serves or helps others. This is the very word that was used of Joshua as the assistant to Moses. If that's the idea, it could be that Jacob sent Joseph along because he knew he could trust him. If that's the case, Joseph is not being disloyal to his brothers, but loyal to his father. And he was obligated to tell the truth. I knew a young man in another city who was an assistant manager at a Best Buy. An employee working under him stole some merchandise. He knew about it, but he didn't do anything. 
Now, he had two obligations. Number one, when he knew the employee had stole the merchandise, he was required to go to him and say, you bring that merchandise back. I'll never forget when I was in the ninth grade in shop class, working on cars, and all of a sudden some tools were missing. The teacher said to the class, we're not working on one more car until those tools return. It was amazing how they miraculously appeared after he said that. And this assistant manager that I knew at Best Buy was required to say to that employee, you return what you have taken, and then I'm going to have to report this to the manager. But he did nothing. He did nothing. When the manager discovered it, tell me this morning... How many people were fired at Best Buy? Two. The employee who stole and the assistant manager who covered it up. See, here's what happened. Fearing how he would be viewed by the other employees, he did not tell the truth. And he was fired for two reasons. Number one, He was a coward. And number two, he lacked integrity. See, his responsibility was to Best Buy, who had put their trust in him. Joseph was a different kind of man. Joseph was God's man. He had character, and he did the right thing. Some of you may remember that J.C. Watts was a congressman for the United States. And here's what J.C. Watts one time had to say. Character is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. There are too many people who think that the only thing that's right is to get by and the only thing that's wrong is to get caught. Joseph was not that kind of a young man. And then there's a man by the name of Stephen Josephson and he started the Josephson Institute of Ethics. And I want you to notice how he puts it. It's so well put. Character is not only doing the right thing when no one is looking, it's doing the right thing when everyone is looking. It's being willing to do the right thing, even when it costs more than you want to pay. Think if Joseph had said nothing, he probably could have gotten by with it, not paying the price of more hatred from his brothers. But what did he know? Faithfulness makes us trustworthy to God. Faithfulness makes us trustworthy to God. And Joseph wanted that. He wanted that. Now, what is God's view of all of this? 
How does God view Joseph and, and what he's doing in this very, very hard situation? Well, look with me at verses 5 through 11, because now this is God's entering into the story and showing us his view. Now, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in his mind. What's going on here? Well, let's notice. Faithfulness in little things shows God can trust us with greater things. Please see this this morning. Faithfulness in little things shows God and trust us with greater things. Did you notice Joseph's robe of many colors? Of course we did. Here is an artist's rendering of what that may possibly have looked like. This is a modern day painting of the scene. It's interesting that uh, the Hebrew word here for garment refers to a garment reaching down to the wrists and to the ankles. King's daughters wore this kind of a garment. It was richly ornamented and it marked Joseph as the primogenitor. What that meant was Jacob was choosing him as the leader of the family of the leader of the fledgling nation, and he would receive a double portion of his father's inheritance. What are we to make of this? Well, clearly it was unwise for Jacob. It only added to uh, the hatred and the sense of favoritism and rivalry. But what we're learning here with the dreams, this was God's plan. This was God's plan. The artist here has caught the scene very well because to us, it looks like Joseph is preening, doesn't it? But from what we know of him, 
that was not the case. At the very most, at 17, he's naive. Uh, you know, you have to realize he's living in a tent with his mother and his younger brother. His older brothers, most of them are married. They have families of their own. How many of us, if we were 17, given a coat like this, would not want to wear it? Can you fault him for wearing this coat? I do not think so. But the artist has done a great job. This is how his brothers perceived him. He's preening. He's a little braggart. And they were jealous. Jealousy is an insidious evil, isn't it? Instead of saying, how can I be better? Jealousy says, how can I destroy somebody? How can I lash out at them? You see, what we're learning here is this. The ten older brothers had disqualified themselves. This right here proves it. You see, God's leader has to be a man who can be trusted or a woman who can be trusted. Joseph had proved himself faithful in the little matters and now God would give him greater things. That's what the dreams are all about. Today, God speaks to us generally in three ways. He speaks to us through His Word, as the Holy Spirit teaches us from it. God moves providentially in our circumstances to direct our paths. And then He leads us through the wisdom of godly believers around us. But I want you to think about this. Joseph had no Bible, so God spoke to him through dreams. And what were the dreams saying? The first one, these sheaves of wheat, his standing upright and the others bowing down. God was saying, through agriculture, Joseph, you're going to be advanced and come to leadership. And then the second dream, the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him. In the ancient world, celestial objects were well known as symbols of rulers. So God was saying, Joseph, you are going to be advanced and you're going to have authority over the whole family. And all of us know, 13 years later, that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh made Joseph the number two man in Egypt. He became the prime minister. And as the whole story played out, this is exactly what happened. God was revealing this. Jacob's choice is my choice. Jacob's choice is my choice. Remember how we began this message? We began with these words of Jesus. 
Matthew 25, 21. Let's read them together, shall we? His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Faith in Christ makes us Christians. Faithfulness to Christ makes us trustworthy. That's God's desire for every one of us. Let's bow our heads together this morning. As we're quiet before the Lord and His Spirit is present to speak to us, is there some area of your life right now where you're not being trustworthy? Just as that question is asked, if you are not being faithful in some area, you know the answer. You know if people were to know, I'm really being untrustworthy. I'm trying to get by and not get caught. And today, without any question whatsoever, if you are untrustworthy to God in some way, you know what that area is. Maybe you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you know His will and know His word. And you know that you belong to the family of God and Jesus has saved you. But you know you cannot be fruitful if you remain unfaithful. And whatever that may be, as the Holy Spirit of God is putting His finger upon it, You need to deal with it. You need to make it right. If there's somebody else who is being harmed by it, making it right includes them. And God wants to bless you and use you. And He wants your life to overflow with spiritual fruit and usefulness. But you have to be trustworthy. It is required of a steward 
who has been given a trust, that that steward be found faithful. Lord, thank you for the example of a 17-year-old young man. Thank you that the key to his life was God. And as we will see as his life unfolds, he wanted the approval of God more than anything else. And therefore God elevated him in due time and made him one of the most fruitful people in all of the Bible. In spite of the difficult family background that he came up through. Thank you, Lord, today that it is always true that one with God is still a majority. And knowing God through Jesus Christ, trusting Him, and living for Him is the best life anyone could ever experience because in spite of the hardships that may come, it will be the fruitful life. We love you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. And afresh today, we commit ourselves to picking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following you. And we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.